3: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here at the home studio Pont City Market, Atlanta. And I had a great conversation today with Mr. Hari Kondabolu. Um, Hari is a comedian. He is very, very funny. He's one of my favorite stand-ups. Really, really good at what he does. Um, He made his name, well, obviously on the stand-up stage, but he made his name more recently even with uh, the documentary The Problem with Apu, which was the documentary about – Apu, the beloved Simpsons character, that is actually quite uh, problematic um, in a lot of ways. And Hari kind of took this on head-on. Um, it really made the rounds in the news and kind of ended up being a much bigger thing than um, perhaps maybe even he thought. The problem with Apu debuted on True TV, um, but you can you can still watch it today. It's really good stuff. And go check out Hari you know, when he comes and does uh, stand-up near you. It's really good stuff. So Hari's pick was Gross Point Blank, the very, very funny, awesome film from John Cusack and uh, Jeremy Piven and the great mini Driver. Uh, really, really great movie, just one of the classics. And I know, um, judging from the Facebook feedback, a lot of you love this movie as well. Um, and I had a good time talking with Hari about it. He's a good guy. So, everyone, check it out. Here we go with Hari Kondabolu and Gross Point Blank. Yeah, it was cool to come back. Um, I mean, it's like growing up here in the '70s is such a different place now. I can only imagine, Jews, yeah. and then changed a lot between when I left in '89 and came back 13 years ago. Uh, but you grew up in Queens, right? Mm-hmm. Where? What? Where's that movie? Well, growing up in
4: Queens, the only movie we have is uh, Coming to America. That's the big one.
3: Well, I mean, I don't know. I just think like you and your brother, mm. first generation Americans, growing up in Queens, growing up in, in Queens in the '80s, like. I mean, don't tell
2: me you haven't thought of that movie. No,
3: no. I mean, I've thought about
4: like TV and film about growing up in Queens in in the '90s as hi- high school kids. Like, right?
3: Well, but that's never great as, too.
4: I've thought. I mean, I've thought about it. You know, I, it's funny. I tried to pitch something once about me and and my friends in high school and. It was around the time Fresh Off the Boat came out, and people were like, Oh, oh there's already, uh, you know, we have like an Asian American 90s show. And I'm like, And you can only have one. You can only have one. <laughs> first, of, first of all, he, they're like, We're Indian. Right. So that. <laughs> Secondly, he's a child. I would be like a teenager. It's a completely different state, a yeah. different city. Yeah. Completely different. I mean, everything is different.
3: Yeah. What's your take on like, um, in some ways, it's like a good time to like, be a first-generation American mm-hmm. and to be a, a minority voice in comedy, like, better than ever. Better than ever, I'll say that. yeah, for but sure. But also, like, you hear something like that, like, no, we checked our box, it, uh, and that's all we can do. It really depends on
4: who you're talking to. And again, this was, a, like, a couple of years ago, so imagine, I, I have no idea what it's like now. Right. It's only been, two like, a couple of years, and it's already, like... yeah. Uh, there's so many more places that are looking for content, which I hate that word content. I, I just it, it. like the idea of art is immediately yeah. turned into. Think about the word IP. I hear that word. Right, <laughs> even That's worse. Terrible. It's the worst. <laughs> well, IP immediately makes it like legal, yeah, right? Sure. With content, it just makes it, anything is content. Uh-huh. Like me hitting my head against the wall right? is content. <laughs> like look at the thing I'm watching and consuming, a man hitting his head against the wall. Like the yeah. bar is so low for what can fill our time and, and take our attention. Right. Content just feels like, oh, what the hell is the point of making art then? Yeah. If it's just content. You know, I've, I've made this joke before, but just the idea of like, the idea of if Martin Luther King today, he uh-huh. would be branded. He's a guy that makes great content. <laughs> he makes great social justice content.
3: Oh, God, that's depressing. <laughs> but that's what it is. The
4: things we w- in our society, we would talk about the great content he produces. Yeah. And we would talk about his weight. Right. And Those are the two <laughs> things that would come up. And I
3: hate that. I hate that. Yeah. Uh, Who wore it best? Right. <laughs> yeah. That's sad, man. God, that's really true. That's a good joke. You I, still still using that one? I only tried it once. Oh, really? Yeah, that's yeah. funny. All you right, tried it out there. Just about how terrible things are. <laughs> I like it. Uh, you should go by the King Center. Well, you're probably headed out of town. I've been to the this. King Center before, though. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah it's it's wonderful. I'm mean,
4: obviously it's depressing, but it's also in, it's just incredible. And his house, his childhood house, is right there. Yeah, and, I mean, it's yeah. and
3: that's all like right around the corner. Yeah. Um, the museum itself is uh doesn't have like enough stuff. I think it could be a little bit bigger, but mm. um. Uh, more content (laughs) yeah right yeah but there's the when you're walking around you're seeing like his clothes and his speeches and that's all like you know really really cool but then you come to the one place where it just has the key the motel key and it's just like all by itself in this case and it's just really like kind of chilling and they just let it sit there you know like uh it says it all you know it doesn't need some big display yeah people get it yeah very interesting uh I wonder what they've done in Memphis. They must have marked it in some way there. Right? I don't know. That's where my mom's family's from. So really? I grew up going to Memphis a lot. Um, I'm not sure. We were always at Graceland. Shamefully. <laughs> uh, so growing up with your brother, like, I'm, I'm always curious about early movie stuff and just, like, culture and where you where you get that. Like, are you, yeah. you're older than him, right? Yeah, I'm older by two and a half years. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, my brother is older than me by about the same so he was the one sort of feeding me content. Were you, did you take up that role? Um, I think we were consuming it ar-
4: around the same time. I don't really? think I was really, yeah. I mean, if anything, once we got to, you know, maybe high school right. or junior high, it was the other way around. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, part of it is that he got into, the internet really is the great equalizer in that regard. So all oh, of a sudden true. he was investing so much more time online. He went to school in the city. I was in Queens. So uh-huh. like, you know, he was introducing me to, a wide range of different music yeah uh, and and film and ideas and yeah. right so yeah i mean it kind of flipped i felt like you know, you don't really hear of hand-me-ups but i feel like right. that's what i was getting <laughs> yeah
3: what uh who were some of your early uh like favorite comedians and or, or even movie influences i think
4: for comedy margaret cho was the first one that was like okay it's yeah. possible to do comedy right um Because at that point, it was just, it was very much like a lot of America is a binary, right? It's black or white, and then sometimes Latino. And this was like, oh, this is an Asian person, different kind of Asian, but still, you know, who who am I to be picky at that point, right? (laughs) Um, Talking about like a broad range of things, her family, like growing up in San Francisco. And, you know, she's still groundbreaking, you know, the more I think about it. Like, she's this incredible mix of, you know, politics and race and sexuality and you know she just no one does what she does like she doesn't really fit a type of any sort so um that you know that kind of opened my eyes and after that it was you know of course i watched comedy central you know right this is back when comedy central before they think had the presents they were just showing random clips of stand-up yeah i remember that some of them were like poorly shot clips from clubs it was just anything and then they started showing like old episodes of uh, you know um other people's stand-up shows. And, right. Um, but yeah, a ton of stand-up there before, you know, really the big names like Chris Rock and yeah. Chappelle. And, you know, I grew up in New York, so I got to go to the Comedy Cellar and see, wow. you know, on a Tuesday, you can go to the Comedy Cellar for two sodas. They, they used to give you a free ticket with an internet coupon and uh-huh. get two sodas. And you could watch on a Tuesday and watch Mark Marin, Colin Quinn, right. Todd Barry, Jim Gaffigan. Wow. Um, uh, Bill Burr, Greg Giraldo. I'm just listing the people I remember on on bills. Like this is yeah. there would be bills that were like it felt like Keith Robinson always hosted, uh-huh. and you go down the list, and it was like Greg Giraldo, Bill Burr, like um, Quinn. Uh, just the, name them, and they they went through. Were like, you a teenager going to the shows? Bobby Kelly. Um, like, yeah, did they let you in. Um, I was. Yeah, I was 18, 19. I was oh, young. Okay. Yeah, 17, 18, 19. But like it was. That's when, like, really I was getting into it. Because, right. you know, the internet really opened stuff up. Even back then, man, yeah. just even to see a few clips and, um, you know, I so became— So you knew you wanted to do, to do stand-up? I knew that I, I wanted to do it when I was, like, 14 or 15. Not wow. as a career, but I wanted to do it. Yeah. And I did it in high school, and I did it through college. And I kept telling myself after each stage of my life it would be done. Uh-huh. You know, like, okay, I did it in high school. Got it out of my system. Oh, okay, college. Well, I went to school in Maine— I everyone's looking at me anyways. so well, I might as well, like, <laughs> public school brown kid in Maine. I feel like um, I wanted to choose how I stood out, and yeah. comedy was such an incredible relief. And then I was an immigrant rights activist in Seattle. I was an organizer working with immigrants and refugees. I did it at night. It was oh, a cool. good young scene at the time. And I'm like, all right, after this, I'll go to grad school. I'll be done with it. And it kind of just built. It got bigger and bigger, and I yeah. found a following, and I got discovered back when you could get discovered. How did you get discovered? Um, the HBO Comedy Festival uh, was a big festival back then. You, you sure. Do you remember that? Like when Aspen. Oh, yeah. Right?
3: They don't do that anymore?
4: They don't do that anymore because Chris Albrecht, who put that festival together, he kind of – he was a big executive at HBO and uh-huh. he kind of kept that thing afloat because they lost money every year on uh, it. Oh, really? Um, but he – I think it was uh, a domestic violence thing and th- that last year. Uh-huh. And so once they got rid of him, there was no reason to keep the festival going. Gotcha. Um, but it was the last year. I was in the last year of it and like – You know, someone found me on a website at the Bumbershoot Festival in Seattle during Uh the local comedy stage. Uh, My friend JP, actually, who who now works for Conan, but he found me there and um, asked me to send in tapes. You know, I was planning to go to grad school, so this whole thing was kind of a shock.
3: And yeah then, what what did you want to do like what was Plan B Oh just I social mean social
4: justice work <laughs> I mean Plan B was stand up like Plan A was actually oh, really? like yeah Plan stand up wasn't real like I I'm a South Asian kid who grew up in an era where it was just poo. so why right. would I assume and like you know Harold and Kumar came out when I started college basically yeah. and then at that point we're talking about oh four I don't think Aziz really became a thing till like oh five oh six so at that point. You know, the office had just started, but Mindy King wasn't even remembered. She was just bit parts there. She right. Kelly as a character hadn't developed. So Asif had started The Daily Show, I think, in 05 or mm-hmm. Like, this is new. Yeah. So, why on earth would I assume that I would be in a select few? And also, my material even then was like, you know, I would, I think back then it was even less like, it was more aggressive in some ways. Without the punchlines to back it. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was still figuring it out. Yeah. You know, and so I would have funny lines, but also, like, you know, I went more towards ranty. Like, the new material I did at the the show that you saw me do last yeah, night. Yeah, really like, good. It was, you know, the newer stuff was a little bit more ranty because I'm looking for the punchline. Mm-hmm. Imagine if, like, a good chunk of your act is that because you still haven't mastered... You know, like, I know how to make punchlines, and I know how to talk about things I believe in, but I don't know how to mesh them yet. Right. And uh, the fact that you c- you have to contain your passion to some degree. Like uh-huh. You you have to, like, it, it's always driving towards a punchline. Right. And you have to have that passion, but it has to drive you in that direction always. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just didn't see me talking about political things and being passionate and angry and frustrated being something I could turn to a career. I mean, it was hard yeah. enough. And you're telling me, like, I would do shows and people would stare at me because they not only did I not meet any of their expectations as a a brown person, I also didn't meet them as a comedian. Right. It was like, <laughs> what on earth? I mean, that's why I'm so happy, like, Aparna Nancherla is doing well now. Uh-huh. She's a great comic because initially it was like she's she's brown, she's a, a woman, she has a high-pitched voice, right. and her act is weird. Yeah. Like, that's, like, you would think when she started, I'm like, like, all the comics knew Uh that she was going to be big. But it was just about the rest of everyone else catching up. And I didn't think, for me, people would catch up. Right. So, So, yeah, I mean, I I got lucky, you know. The right things fell into place. But, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest comic influences for me, like, the two biggest ones after Margaret Mm -hmm. would be uh, Paul Mooney, who Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney used to write for Richard Pryor. Okay. He was like his primary writer. Uh-huh. They were very close friends. Um Chris Rock and Chappelle and yeah. they all cite him. They all cite him because he, he talks about race more aggressively than anybody else. Right. Um in a lot of Pryor's best of race stuff. You know that the bit with Chevy Chase and Pryor. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, Paul Mooney wrote that. Oh wow. They, they brought him to write it because they had no one on staff who could. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and Pryor demanded that Mooney was writing that week because, like, they, how could they write for his voice when they didn't have the the, the writers who knew his voice? Yeah. So Paul Mooney, of course, could. So, yeah, he, watching him in D.C. was unbelievable. And then the other uh, big. Influence it was probably 10 years ago, a little bit more, is Stuart Lee. Uh-huh. He was a British comic. Oh, yeah, dad. yeah. I know him. I'm He's great. i obsessed with him. Oh, my. He knows it because I talk about him in every really? interview. <laughs> yeah. I just... I'm just blown away. He changed what stand-up could be to me. Yeah. It was less punchline, setup-driven. It was... It could be whatever you wanted it to be. Yeah. And, and the idea of failure, like, what, what seemingly looks like failure on stage is potentially just a way to set up right. a joke. Like, I just there's there's infinite possibilities and so um yeah they were those were all those were all big in terms of other pop culture it's like SNL yeah sure Conan that's me and my friends that was every day talking about SNL Yeah. you know the reruns and then the new episodes on the weekends and Conan and the Simpsons of course obsessively we watched the Simpsons right um same thing like all the reruns all week and then the new one on Sunday um yeah, and film—it's you know just like what you what what you'd expect, you know. I, I at sometime in high school, I got big into Mel Brooks. Yeah, I still people like my friends make fun of me, but I still love History of the World Part One. Sure, and friends are like, "That's the weakest one." Oh, and I don't I'm know like, about that. "That's not true." No, <laughs> I love stuff. how kind of like ridiculous, like this, the Inquisition
3: song. Yeah, the Inquisition. Uh-huh. What I mean, I know it's a little corny, but I don't. I don't give a shit. It's good. No, Cornball and like there's nothing better than a good dumb joke or a yeah. cornball joke. You just have to execute it, right? And they did. It was so absurd. Like Gregory Hines,
4: like yeah. just the <laughs> you know, and then Blazing Saddles of course. I mean, there's so many Yeah. So he was he was a big influence, which I think would surprise people because he's so silly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But like I just he's oh my god, so well done. So, so it it was both smart and Silly. You yeah. Could, and the idea you could do both was very attractive.
3: Yeah. I think you have this like, uh, strange ability to like, like, I don't, I don't like the word ranty that you were using, mm. but like to talk about something serious that's upsetting and still be affable to a crowd. Yeah. I'm surprised I get away with it to be perfectly. Honest. Yeah. There's still <laughs> an affability because like, I think you can kind of tell that you're, uh, I don't like it when you, you comedians don't look like they and are not at least enjoying what they're doing a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. I there's co- comics complain about everything. Uh, of every little thing. So,
4: you know, if there's a type of joke or a type of performance style that annoys somebody, somebody would have said something. And I've read someone tweeted like how much they hate when comics laugh at their own joke. And I'm I like, love it. I love it because the it, I think it's funny. Like there are times, yesterday, every time, there's certain parts where I like kind of laugh at certain punches and some of it is like a nervous, like I've gotten used to doing it that way, and yeah, some of yeah. it's like shit's still funny. No,
3: it's it's great. as funny as
4: it was when I wrote it, and I feel good about it. So interesting, you know. And that got into my head for a minute. But, yeah, I do that. Is that cheap? Is that is no, that is no, no, that no, no, is no. that getting the audience <laughs> to be like, oh, I'm supposed to laugh at this? I'm like, no, I find no, it funny. You're laughing. Out. Anything there is to criticize, a comedian will criticize. It's almost like, what? What? how are we supposed to do stand-up? Plan? Right. Just talking to a mic. This is joke one. Uh-huh. This is the joke, the next joke. <laughs> right. like,
3: I mean, <laughs> personality is such a big part yeah, of man, it. Yeah, man. When, when as an audience member, when you can tell someone is enjoying their time on yes. stage. And when, like, uh, who, like, Nate Bargatze is a good person yeah. to, like, because he's pretty deadpan. Yes. But he will crack himself up. And it's just great. It's endearing. Oh, when whenever you he smiles, he's making himself laugh a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> Like whenever he smiles at the end, I'm like,
4: he's really enjoying this. Yeah. And you – there are certain – I mean, I feel like there's nothing wrong with having a good time because the audience – why do you want to be a killjoy at your party? Right. Like this yeah. is yours. Like, you know, it's okay to have fun and it's okay to, to like celebrate – and it's, you know, sometimes I'm like, damn, I I actually, I can't help it sometimes, but if I improvise something uh-huh. and I really am proud of it, I will say, guys, I just made that up. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like so self but it's like, how no, that's do crazy. that? That's a very endearing like, You all endearing don't thing. know
3: that. You think that, <laughs> I didn't write that. It just happened. Like, do you realize how good I am right yeah, now? right,
4: right. Exactly. That's exactly like the, I'm in awe of. Because, you know, it, those moments don't happen every single time. So when right. they happen, it's
3: like. Wow! Like I'm in the moment, and this crowd's great, and yeah. Now, do you re- try and replicate that? Like, okay, that's now a new joke, or <sighs> yeah. That and that's dicey. and that's hit or miss, right. yeah, exactly.
4: Because sometimes you're trying to recreate a moment you sure. can't recreate, absolutely. And you're trying to fake something that was real, and what sold it was its reality. Like people right. know you're in it. Sometimes a joke only works once because it's not the best joke in the world, but you you've the way you sold it, yeah, and the and they somehow the context that, you know, when you, when you have friends and you make jokes that you don't need to explain too much because there's context? Right. The audience almost becomes so close to you and becomes so like, oh, I know this person. Uh-huh. The context doesn't need to be given sometimes. And yeah. sometimes with a joke, it's funny because in that moment, they got you. Right. And in another moment, you need to do more work for them to get you. Um, so there are jokes that like, ah, oh, I got it to work once or twice and never again. But, you know, you still try. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's part of it. Like, you hope that you find a way to... You know, get it to some... Look, it's never as funny as the first time.
3: Well, that's part of the work of it, too, you know? I mean, it's a job. Yes. And I know that, like, for people who have never done that kind of thing, it it may sound silly to call it work, but, like, you're grinding it out up there and and writing for weeks and weeks, I imagine, to come up with whatever your hour of 20. Yeah, and you owe... I mean, taking... Like, if you take 30 bucks from a person, like, you have to think what 30 bucks
4: means depending on who you are. I mean, that's... That's a meal. That's, you know, 30 bucks plus babysitter. Yeah. You know, 30 bucks plus transportation. Mm-hmm. 30, I mean, that's maybe for some people, that's the one thing you're doing in the week. I'm seeing this performance or a right. month sometimes. That's a lot of you know. You got to get it right because yeah, like, people have the right to be annoyed. Like God damn, I can't do anything else now right. for a couple of weeks
3: because I spent all this money and a dinner and a, well, especially and now, you know, like you're playing bigger places and there yeah. people are buying a ticket to go see you. Yeah, not that you shouldn't try when you're, of course, yeah, the, yeah. the eighth comic on the bill at the comedy club. But the eighth comic on the bill eventually gets you to this. Yeah, if you just exactly. keep building, Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. What do you do like when you don't just don't want to do it? That night, <laughs> you, you still do it. <laughs> you, you signed a contract, so you're still doing it. Right. I mean, Emotionally,
4: though, like how do you get there? It's hard. I mean, definitely, I think when I was the most depressed in my life, it was so difficult. I pulled it off, but I think it was... It, I pulled it off on the strength of the jokes, not the performance. Right. Like, I'm totally phoning it in. The audience doesn't know, but right. in, my, in my heart, I know. And the way you would know interesting, is when... Something would happen if if someone heckled and stuff mm-hmm. or like disturbed the show, and I'd snap. Right. Like there was a stretch where I was just exploding at the audience all the time, and that was like you know the clue that something like oh I'm yeah. I'm I'm not quite. I, it's like I'm using every ounce of my being uh-huh. to get these jokes out, and when you're in a good place you're not right you're that's a part of your brain the other part of your brain is thinking about what's in the room you know there's a part of your brain that's thinking about what jokes in this joke am I missing uh-huh. there must be more jokes you know and there's a part that's like trying to improvise if you see something happening in the audience so to make sure they know right you're with them there's all these things, but when you're like struggling to just focus on the stuff mm-hmm. like you know it it's it is very very difficult but you you just have to like trust your instincts you have to I'll tell you that's not the most creative space. Right. It ends up being like I'm just putting on a show mm-hmm. in so many different ways. What I love now, I feel like I'm I'm a lot healthier than I was in, in previous years, and now it's like I got everything yeah. working at the same time. I'm writing on stage. I have jokes that I can I can play with and work on that I like. You know, I if someone interrupts a show, I don't like. It's funny how. Before, I almost took it like a personal affront, you know, because I needed comedy so badly. Mm -hmm. Like, I need – you don't understand. I need this to go well. Don't you understand? And now it's like I take a second. I see what the situation is. I ask a few questions, and I decide how to proceed. And sometimes (laughs) I'm light, and sometimes I'm silly, and sometimes I have a couple of – you know, I find a moment to just, like, Destroy the person, but it depends yeah. on the situation. <laughs> my first instinct isn 't just to destroy my first instinct is to tease it out a little bit, yeah, see where it goes, yeah, which i i don't think I r- realized that was my first instinct for so many years i uh-huh. didn't i
3: wasn't that that wouldn't show up it was just kill,
4: destroy, kill,
3: yeah, um must, Do you still get heckled when someone comes to see yeah. these theater shows, yeah, not yeah. I
4: mean sometimes you know because there's different types of heckles there's heckles from people who are. You know, so self-absorbed they uh, want to be a part of it. They the, think they're
3: adding something to yes, the Yes.
4: <laughs> there's the drunk heckler. <laughs> yeah. There's the uh, bachelor party, bachelorette party, Ugh. birthday party, people that, you know— you, if you're the center of attention, why do you want someone else to be the center of attention? Like, yeah. Why would you come to a comedy show? Right. Um, I mean, there's so many different types: the loud talker who doesn't know they're so loud. There's so many. Yeah, I guess I always just think of the aggressive asshole, but there are many, many different. So many times, the aggressive to... asshole honestly is is fewer and further between oh, than really? you think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, but when it happens, it's you know. Oh, there's the political heckle. Right. You know, when I was in um and. Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is, of course, super liberal. great, yeah. Great town. And uh, someone yelled out in the middle of my show, hail Trump. Oh, God. And, of course, and I hate it because it, it's like Trump, almost, the word Trump almost feels like a, th- a a veiled threat. I know. And so the audience freezes. It happened in New Jersey. Like, it was like Trump. And the crowd freezes up like, is something going to happen? Which right. Which is so scary. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so I get that, too. Like, in Charlottesville, I got two young, drunk women who were... Like, yelling at every word I was saying. Mm-hmm. Like, half supportive, but not really. It was more that I want to be a part of the show. Right. You know, and it's like, look, you're not a. it's not a punk show. Right. It's not like you're not singing along to the lyrics. Yeah. Like, there are other people here. Sometimes I try to explain to people, like, okay, look, so there are people here who had to pay for babysitters, their parents, mm-hmm. the, like, they've waited all week for this. So there are people here who waited a month, month for this. Sometimes when I'm a place that isn't the most diverse, I, I tell them the truth. Look, the people of color here who've been waiting for me specifically because right. I say stuff that they won't get otherwise, and they waited a really long time for me to be here. Yeah, it's and a big so, night. And for, for, for you, it's like, oh, this is a comedy show. I can see a bunch of comedy shows. For them, it's not just a comedy show. Mm-hmm. They came to see me for a broad range of reasons. Right. And so – You know, we have to let's try to understand the context of it. You know, and sometimes, sometimes being reasonable works, right? Because people sometimes they don't mean to cause harm; they just like don't think about it. Yeah, and sometimes you just have to like. Dig in. And look, there's fun in that. Right. <laughs> Check, I'll be honest with you. I do. There's a sick part of me that enjoys the ability sure. to, to tear somebody apart. You know? Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> that's the maybe, power.
3: maybe it's the part of me that was bullied as a kid. Absolutely. Maybe, yeah. Man. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get
4: to re- turn it around.
3: Yeah. You can do that without uh, letting that like become who you are. Yes. I mean, I think that was what well, well, that's what was hard
4: before because when I would yell at an audience member, it's really hard. You know how we were talking about, like, you know, I come off as like, like, likable and mm-hmm. endearing and silly and all that. Yeah. Really hard to scream at a person and then go back to a state of vulnerability. Yeah. Because you've shown your teeth. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, we like this guy. He's soft. Oh my God. Yeah. Is he going <laughs> to turn on me? When is this going to happen? Like,
3: it changes the context of the show. And now all of a sudden everything else seems phony. Yeah. And imagine when you go to places like uh, Georgia, mm. like, you know, I mean, Atlanta is very liberal and sure. so is Athens, so you'll be fine. But there's still like I went to the, the David Byrne concert here a few oh, months ago, that's awesome. that amazing show. And there was this guy I was uh, I was right up front and got lucky with some tickets. And there was this guy that kept going down and taking selfies in front of the stage, just having a great time. Yeah. And at the end of the night, they do the uh, the Janelle Monáe, uh, uh protest song. And they cover that. And it's this really? very powerful moment. David and, Byrne covered that. Yeah, yeah. And this dude, and I don't know if you heard about this tour, but the the stage was completely empty of everything. There were no instruments, no speakers. It was all done like via Bluetooth and like, you know, wireless mics and stuff. So it was a really unique setup of a this pristine white stage. And he goes down at the end of the show and he slams his full beer down right in front of David Byrne's feet on the stage and storms out. This guy that had been Having a great time, but at the end, when it was just a song about protesting, you know, police shootings, and that's he just stormed out. Did David Byrne say anything? Well, no, I actually had a had a moment. I have to say, and it's it's on YouTube. Even I, uh, I immediately he uh, they looked down at me, the performers. And sort of looked at me, and I grabbed the beer immediately, and like took it off stage. And one of them mouthed "thank you" to me, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the best moment of my life!" <laughs> like I got to save the show at the end. <laughs> <I saw> it. <laughs> oh my god! But that's just an example. Like someone now, will who come... are you kind of because you broke the tension. Yeah, but someone will come to see you specifically. Yeah, who doesn't? But would get mad at you for your politics yeah because doesn't they don't know like I don't or, get
4: it. or they saw me on you know at midnight and they expect dick jokes and that's not what i'm you know doing right. here and you know i mean th- that that reminded me of that that moment or the feeling of saving a show yeah i had a show in seattle these are i mean these are liberal cities it doesn't sure. matter where you are i mean yeah, that's, that's the true. assumption is that like oh, if you're playing the south it'll be rough it's like i've had more incidents outside to be honest with you right but you know i'm in uh because people are polite here, even if they hate you. it, it seems yeah. like <laughs> <That's> <laughs> there's, there's a decency <laughs> about it. But I was in Seattle and I was talking. This is when there was that um, the Islamic Community Center being built yeah. not too far from Ground Zero. And people were calling it the Ground Zero Mosque. And so I'm on stage in Seattle talking about it. And saying you know it's not quite a mosque it's a community center like a YMCA or mm-hmm. you know um, a Jewish community center and it has religious meaning but it also has all this other stuff for the community and and I'm talking about this guy who's like yelling that they're terrorists like I can't believe you're supporting this and this yeah. is at the end of the show wow which means he must have hated 58 <laughs> <Right>. minutes and <laughs> yeah, right at the very didn't end take and, it anymore. and so he's like screaming and I'm going back and forth with him and. All of a sudden, I hear some tables flip over, and what happened is one of my fans, and this is very indicative of the kind of people that will go to my show yeah um uh, goes up to the guy, takes her shoe off, <laughs> puts it in his face, and says, "No,
3: what? no, like Why a dog like a puppy oh, like you okay. like,
4: and so the, so then his girlfriend got angry and pushed her, and tables flip What? and so the whole crowd you know they get escorted out the crowd's obviously like. Frozen, it's like the last joke I have in my set. Yeah, like, how, what do you do? From what do there? you do? And then out of nowhere, I hear someone go, Anyway, <laughs> and the crowd <laughs> erupts. And it was my writing partner, Aham, who I didn't oh, even no know way. he was going to be there that night because wow. he had worked that night and he showed up at the very end, saw it happen, saved it like a
3: ninja, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, thank
4: god. And then we. I finished the last joke, and that was the, and it, it was actually a great moment, but that's funny. I know that feeling of yeah. like i did
3: I just save this <laughs> Holy crap, I think I just saved this anyway, yeah, oh, that's good. <laughs> um well, before we get going on gross point blank, I do want to um touch on the problem with Apu. poo sure. um and I'm curious, like I think everyone is sort of knows the story by now, so I don't, I don't want to like make you go through all that again, but I'm curious about since then like were you surprised by all the attention and what about the the result or lack of result and was that your aim i mean i think i was surprised
4: i knew it would get attention because i knew no one had criticized the simpsons before yeah. so even doing it there was that kind of weird feeling of even though you know i was talking about the stereotypical nature of the character in my community I also know that as a comedian it felt sacrilegious mm-hmm. and you don't talk about The Simpsons in that way it's The Simpsons but it's I'm,
3: clear that you love The Simpsons uh, yes. by if, watching it but so. but that's the key part of that you watched it right. that's like that's
4: the part of the thing that I expected attention I didn't expect attention from people who hadn't seen the film Yeah, like you know it got written about all over the world mm-hmm. translated the articles and so many different languages, things that it's only played in the U.S. Right. So nobody else had access to it. You couldn't even get it on, like, you know, uh, iTunes in other countries. It's not available. It's not even available in Canada or the U.K. Really? It only recently played in Australia. It only recently played, I think, in Denmark. There's only, like, three or four countries it's played. And so the majority of people, they're going off assumption of what they think it is. And it's really, you know, you you discover that there are certain debates Debate templates mm-hmm. like this is the debate about political correctness. We we have a blank. This movie is the blank for today. We're gonna fill it in with this. Yeah, and it's the same arguments. And it's like, but you didn't see the movie. Right? You, you maybe saw the trailer. You have no idea what it's about. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you hate something so much when you don't know what it's about? Like, I love The Simpsons, and that's what gave me some degree as a as a fan. Yeah, which I think all fans have some degree of. Um, credibility and, and authenticity when you criticize it because mm-hmm. you love it and you know it and uh, you grew up like wanting to be someone that was as like like to be as funny as the writers of the of that show to be as smart as the writers of that show yeah for but, real but you also like you know you you see the holes like you know Apu is not you know what the character became. Mm-hmm. Is an example of great writing, they had to they had to take a stereotype and write the hell out of it to make him an interesting character. And they yeah. did. You know, he's, he has all these other interesting parts of his personality. But that was out of necessity because they didn't think this character would would be there the whole time. Yeah. And so, you know, talking about all those things and, yeah. and the kind of the nuance of like, you know, this was a character that. He wasn't intended to have an accent, and then all of a sudden he had an accent. It was seen even back then as a cliched thing. Even back then, it was seen as corny and overdone. Right. And yeah, for sure. And it was acknowledged, and it's like none of that gets discussed in the criticism because no one has heard the arguments. Yeah. So that's what kind of bummed me out. It's it's, um, even though some of the arguments people make I address specifically in the film, Uh you realize when people don't watch the film, it doesn't matter. You can do anything and it doesn't matter. And that kind of. And that that kind of sucks, especially when it was other comics who would who would criticize. Like, dude, you didn't see the film. Yeah, I didn't say that. That's not in it. I didn't say get rid of the character. I didn't say right. H- like half, like the more than half the things that are being said, I did not say, didn't do, or that's taken out of context. I mean, when I started getting death threats in Spanish, it was just like, but it's not yeah. playing in South America. Right. <laughs> How are all these Argentinians hating me when they haven't seen the
3: film? Well, that's the that whole Fox News narrative, which is just like. You know, a comedian does hit piece on beloved show. Yes. And he wants to kill off the character. And it's just like, again, clearly it hadn't seen it. And no. it's just so reductive and like, I don't know, man, it's just so lazy. And I felt like the film really is, it's thoughtful too, because it kind of looks at, totally,
4: you know, how representation works and how it has worked. Like so getting Whoopi Goldberg to talk about. Because, you know, she has that uh, black Americana collection in yeah. her house that yeah, she yeah. calls her Negrobilia collection. And it's, you know, it's horrific images of right. that time period, blackface and things like that. And when I ask her, like, why do you why do you keep this in your home? And she says, well, because I want people to remember. I want this to be, like, known that it's part of right. part of her history. And that's what I th- felt, you know, with this piece. Yeah. This piece is like, well, let's also remember, like, 15, 20 years later. Like, yeah, that was weird. Yeah. You believe we did that? That was weird. Yeah. You know? And... And it's also a love letter to to my community. Like, oh, this is a, a weird time period, and our you know our families have so much more death than mm-hmm. experiences, and I, I want that to be shared. Um, there was a moment where uh, I asked Whoopi, um, you know, or I say I tell Whoopi, like clearly this these images and stuff they're made like in her collection yeah. to hurt Black people. Uh, she's right. like, and she's like, I don't think it's that. It's that easy. I just think they were trying to sell cookie jars. When you see right. a racist cookie jar, yeah. it's to sell cookie jars. And there's this moment later with Dana Gould. And I ask him, like, it's, I mean, isn't this kind of cliched and, like, isn't this kind of, like, easy? And he's like, yeah, but when you have to make, like, 25 episodes a year for 30 years, you only have a, sim- a, a certain number of moves, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you know, Barney's funnier when he's drunk. And Pooh has these four moves you can make. Right. And you have to keep using them. Yeah. And... It wasn't. There wasn't a, a moment of mean spiritedness about it. Uh-huh. It was very like mechanical. And then you start to realize, oh, they're just making cookie jars. Right. That's all this is. This right. has nothing. This is not personal, which almost makes it worse.
3: Yeah, because then it's a. Uh, it's, it's allowed cap- to happen because it's just that's what people do and that's the history of it.
4: It's pure capitalism, yeah, it's straight up. Because they're literally selling toys and they're selling shirts and they're selling the show and. Yeah. You know, Hank Azaria got an Emmy nomination for that particular character, which is absurd to me. Like, right. You know, and I like Hank Azaria, which he probably wouldn't believe. Yeah. He's um, in Gross Point play. <laughs> I know. I'm well aware. Oh, there was a thing in the movie that I'm glad we didn't put it in. It was mean. Uh-huh. There was a part uh, where I say, I, I wanted to put it, but we changed it. It's just the tone was too sharp. It was too mean. But I said... um you know, I, uh, Hank Azaria is one of my favorite actors. Here's my favorite scene of one of his movies, and it's him getting shot in Ghostboy
3: <laughs> <quite laughs> Flag. <laughs> With like 20 bullets. 20 bottles. bullets, yeah. And I'm like, eh.
4: everyone's like, no, let's not. Right. I'm
3: glad we didn't put it in because I actually do like him. Um, I think they shoot yeah. his show here, that one. Uh, I'm not sure if they're, he's still doing that show, but. Which one? The one where he The Drunk Sportscaster.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I feel... That no one's seen? <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I ruined some of his press tour for that. Really? Yeah, because they asked him this, and I ruined some of Matt Groening's press tour for yeah. his thing. Part of me has some joy in that, I'll be honest with you. Sure. I do. There's a little part of me that's like, ah, you're, you're sick of talking about it, uh-huh. huh? Yeah. yeah well, you're you're you sick of having to, to hear... It?
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I was sick of hearing about it, too. All right, well, let's move on to uh, Gross Point Blank. Um I did want to ask, though, are you ever, like, are you into filmmaking and and directing? Is that something you want to do? I mean, I think about it all the time, and then I get scared from it, you know? Like, what path are you on? I mean, I'm... Aspirationally. I'm thinking a
4: lot about writing and producing. Yeah. Directing seems so hard, man. I feel like I would rather work with someone on my wavelength that I could collaborate with. Right, and do the writing. Yeah, and maybe it's different once you make a a few films or something, and you all of a sudden feel comfortable. Right. But, uh... So I just, oh, my friends who I know who are directors, they just, it just seems so hard. Yeah. And as someone who is, you know, as a comedian, like, even though I feel like I'm a little bit more drawn out and slow, um, I'm still waiting for punchlines. I think yeah. movie making would be too painful to wait on. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a different, it's a different medium sure. altogether. But, you know, I definitely would like to help create other pieces of work. Yeah by writing and producing them. And um, that's something I'm certainly, you know, I got a few ideas and some collaborators I want to work with. I really like, you know, working with other people that maybe fill in the gaps I
3: don't have. Right. That's great.
1: Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away.
3: Alright, Gross Point Blank, uh, 1997, um, I was, uh, this was just post, I was 89 to 95, so two years post-college for me. Mm. Um, I'm a sophomore in high school at the time. Pretty good age to be watching this. Great, I would yes. think. Uh, directed by George Armitage, who uh, only directed seven films, I guess most notably, Miami Blues. Was Miami Blues? His other like biggest film with Alec Baldwin. Uh, and written by Tom Jankowitz and then, uh, you know, very famously, John Cusack and Steve Pink and his other partner rewrote. And then Armitage says he rewrote on top of that. Huh. Um, did you hear about the original writer, though? How he met his end? It's very uh, I sad. did at some point, but this is his only written work, right? Well. A movie? Maybe. He yeah. he went to a screening of Gross Point Blank and, uh, like five years ago. And during Q&A, collapsed on stage. No, no, no. He was invited like last minute. They were like, oh, let me see if he'll come. He showed up at a college and collapsed on stage. He was like 49 years old. That's terrible. uh, I know. It's really, really sad. But he got the idea apparently when his high school reunion was coming up. um, The urban legend that this was based on a real true story of a former high school kid who became a contract killer is not true. Unfortunately, it's an urban (laughs) legend. But uh, John Cusack, of course, Mini Driver, Piven, Dan Aykroyd, and maybe my favorite role of his. Popcorn. <laughs> Popcorn. Uh, Popcorn. And Alan Arkin, of course, national treasure, Alan Arkin. Uh, and in a weird way, when I was watching, like I've seen this movie a bunch of times, and my wife and I watched it uh, two nights ago um, again, and it's uh, it really kind of struck me how in a weird way, this is a, a say-anything sort of it's he could kind of be Lloyd Dobler in a way. Oh my! I have said that so <laughs> many
4: times. I was I was about to yeah because like cause Lloyd Dobler is like you know he's training for martial arts sure. and then he goes to London. So he so he disappears uh-huh. and it's almost like. That makes sense because he's with Diane Court, yeah. and Diane's all like, "I don't think this is working," because he, you yeah, know, she's like brilliant uh-huh. and he's not, you know. And then all of a sudden, he probably joins the military because he's all, all into, right. Mar- you know, <laughs> and he says all that stuff, you know, at at, at dinner with I forget his name, uh, you know, Fraser's father, yeah, yeah, and he says the whole thing about. You know, I don't want to build or make things. I don't, right. work, and I don't want to work for that corporation. And he has moments like that in
3: this movie, too.
4: Yes. And then all of a sudden, he comes back, and he, you know,
3: this is the reunion after the graduation. It almost felt like yeah. a continuance of that film. Yeah. That's yeah. so amazing. It's funny, because, like, uh, I mean, Cusack's done, He's does a lot of weird roles now. But yeah. But I feel like, aside from his, like, teenage stuff, you've got, you know, Say Anything, and then, like, this and High Fidelity are sort of his three Say Anything to High Fidelity
4: also has a similar kind yeah. of feel to me because this is, like, this is the young 18-year-old naive uh-huh. love, and this is, like, bitter jaded
3: 40-year-old, like, in multiple relationships. I feel broken. like they're tied together for sure. Yeah. Like, I don't know how much of that is Cusack, or, but I feel like he he's done rewriting on—well, on, I don't think I'd say anything because that was Cameron Crowe. But But right. uh, I don't know. I feel like that might be his influence. Huh of, like, who he is. always wanted to meet him. He's also incredibly political. Like yeah. Ridiculously political. Yeah, yeah. Trying to get him in here. He's coming through. He's on tour now. Yeah. Screening those three movies. And, what? like, it depends on which city, which movie you'll get. What? But, uh, yeah, he's coming to Atlanta in April for uh, for High Fidelity. But he's doing Gross Point Blank in various cities, too. You should check it out.
4: Uh, yeah, I didn't know. When did he start? Did he start? Yeah, starting he... in March.
3: Oh, my God, yes. But he's already done a few, and you can, uh, you know, they're, He's got his own website. I would, travel, I would travel to a city if it's not in my city. I would absolutely do that. You should that. do it. You could get VIP status, too, probably. Oh, I don't know. Man, I
4: would love that. I saw a video of him coming out during a Peter Gabriel concert a couple of years ago holding the boombox. Oh, no way. He yeah. did that? Yeah, I love
3: it. Oh, that's kind of yeah, fun. Yeah. Um, so this movie opens up. There's so many nice little – like the more, the more times I've seen it, you catch just little jokes. Like yeah. the very beginning of the movie, he's using that eyewash to like clean out his scope eye yeah. I guess for the hit. Yeah. And I never noticed that before. It's such a like a nice little comedic <laughs> touch at the beginning. Yeah. He like watches his eye out so he can get a good aim. <laughs>
4: God. It's so I mean what I love about the film is that it's it's a an action thriller kind of, you know, there's an element of that cuz there is a there's he's a he's a hitman and yeah. he he has a job. Uh-huh. It's a high school reunion movie, which they don't make many of anymore because right. Facebook killed reunions. Yeah. So what well, did that, it? Yeah, the whole
3: concept is like. Yeah, incredible. mine is My 30 is this summer.
4: Are th- is that not going to happen? Are people going to. No, ha-
3: it's 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 not happening with me, but it's happening. All right. <laughs> <laughs> my 20th is going
4: to happen uh, next year. I don't think anyone's setting it up. Have one you of, ever been to a, a reunion? Yeah. No. No, Facebook killed it, I think, for my, yeah. for my like generation, and it sucks. And you know, strangely enough, one of the guys who created. Facebook, you know, who ended up suing Zuckerberg, uh-huh. Divya Narendra. He he was a high school classmate. We were the same uh, yeah Oh, really? We graduated in the same class, yeah. Oh, wow.
3: That'd be a pretty interesting reunion. Yeah, man. like, you ruined this. <laughs> There's eight people here because you had this stupid idea that this other idiot stole. Or you do that thing where you show up and you're like, oh, I've been like, yeah, yeah, I saw it in that vacation that you were on. Right. And, you know, I, <laughs> right. Your kids are really cute. I don't need to see pictures. Yeah, oh, man, I hope things wouldn't work out
4: for you, but you're a dentist. This sucks. <laughs> uh You were an asshole, but now you're a dentist, which maybe works. Um But I... Yeah, I mean, uh, the, I've always been fascinated with high school reunions and high yeah. school reunion films. And this certainly, like, immediately is like, oh, this is so interesting. Yeah, I and I love
3: it. movies that are, uh, my wife always laughs at the term high concept because yeah. she's like, it shouldn't be called high concept. It should be low concept. Like, right. she doesn't get the wording. Yeah. But, like, a movie that you can do the one line pitch, basically, which is Contract Killer goes back for his high school reunion. It's just, it's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, all yeah. right there. Yeah. That
4: it, I mean, and he's so—well, like, the, you, the, his range of personalities, he, like, starts to become a human again when he goes yeah. back home. Like, as soon as totally. he sees Jeremy Piven and they get excited when he sees his high school uh-huh. teacher. Um, oh,
3: God, I love that scene. My favorite so line of that great. is, like, you
4: still doing that Ethan Frome damage? Yeah. <laughs> God, I hated that book. It's a terrible book, Chuck. It's so bad. Yeah. Honestly, like— Uh, They crashed on a sled. They met their ends on a sled. (laughs) The (laughs) worst like book of all time. Why do we read that?
3: Yeah, the way they play in that scene though is just—it's very playful and just like. It feels like John Cusack dug up his high school teacher, yes, and put her in a movie. Yeah, right. Is what it feels <laughs> like, which I'm sure is not the case. They're teasing each other. It's it's like I love that. Yeah, it's a,
4: I love the fact it's a romantic comedy too. Uh huh. I love the their mini- chemistry is so good. Oh my god, Mini
3: Driver at the peak of her powers. I yeah, would say. man, just like everyone was in love with her.
4: Yeah, you know. Yeah,
3: you can't watch this movie and not post, like have a crush on her. Post Goodwill Hunting, yes, because or Jeez. pre Goodwill Hunting. Well, ninety. I don't know, man. Because obviously, they after were pretty circle close of friends together, yeah, I've, that was yeah. her breakout, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, yeah, peak mini driver. Yeah. Uh, and I say that respectfully. Yes. Oh, yes, <laughs> of course. I mean, I, it's funny, me and her, we converse on Twitter. I would never say that. Oh, no. And I'm way. hoping she
4: doesn't hear that for the, that purpose. But she, yeah, I mean, I, I once I saw a circle of friends and I sent her a message and a picture. Of, of, like, I'm watching you at a hotel right now, uh-huh. uh, you know, on the road. And, and she's like, oh, I miss Fat Minnie." <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> she's hilarious. I mean, she's great. And I think in that film, like, it's everything, right? She's, yeah. like, sarcastic and quick yeah, and mean and just silly cool. and lovable and very cool. Oh, and she's Always a DJ cool. and, like, yeah. the
3: whole thing, man. Yeah. She's like every guy's dream. Yes. Uh, and I love the – just art direction-wise that – um, it's so Do the Right Thing, that DJ booth on the street with the window where you can see in from outside. Yeah. And her, like, talking to him through the radio, Which is, a nice is so device. perfect.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And,
3: you know, and I've seen that a few times, like, DJ booths on the outside, but, like... Do the Right Thing is what immediately came to mind. Yeah. Because that's, like, you know, of course, it was uh, Sam Jackson, yes, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that...
4: Ugh. She... What I like is that they could have made her, like, a manic pixie character because, it, like, mm-hmm. John Cusack, the way he idolizes her and the feeling, you could see, like, he you know, screwed that up and he's obsessed with her dreams about her yeah. all the time. But, you know, her life is 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 not perfect and she was in a thing. She's back home crashing at her parents' right. place because, you know, her last relationship didn't work out. She got divorced. Right. Like, like, she's in a period of rebuilding. She's a complicated person in a period of rebuilding and things yeah. suck and she gets this job of a DJ you know, at a radio station or hometown. But, you know, there's something about that yeah. that is less, like, I, I like the fact
3: there's a little bit of complexity in her character, which a lot of people wouldn't have written in. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, and plus just that thing of the, uh, the first love, like, it really feels real in this movie. Like, it's totally believable that yes. um, it's not like they broke up. Like, they were madly in love in high school, and, like, he just ditches her. And disappears. Yeah, it was incomplete. So, yeah, when they come back, it's just like, and apparently that kiss that she plants on him was totally improvised. Which one? At the, oh, when he's, when she's he, she he no, no, no. When he, when he first goes into the booth. Yeah. In the radio station, she just like runs at him and kisses him out of the blue. Like they're sort of circling each other. Uh, and it's very playful and then she kisses him and the director was like she just totally made that up on the spot but the hit was great too oh yeah yeah
4: but the kiss I mean kiss makes perfect sense
3: why wouldn't you yeah
4: because I mean that proves that they aren't over each other right like, instantly, like, oh, she's been holding on, too, because why would she react that yeah, way? Yeah, she set the table right away. Oh, that whole thing with the airplane where where he does the—is that what it's called? You know, when his— uh, Oh, yeah, the airplane. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, I'm flying. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> like you can imagine them as kids. You can yeah. imagine
3: them being in high school. Oh, it's great. And at the end of that scene, too, like, I love how she shows him the door yeah. so quickly She's like, you know, you can leave now. And he's like, oh, you don't want to stay here? And she's like, no, the airplane was enough. Ah! And it's like such a like clever little thing for her to be like, Do you think no. she improvised that or do you think that's written? I don't know. Well, apparently the director said they shot literally three versions of every scene. One straight script, one a little understated, and one just way over the top. Yeah. And he said that they used most of the over-the-top stuff. Huh. Which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, because I always... I have... And also not very economical. <laughs> yes, yes. But also I'm surprised because it, it doesn't seem too over the top. No, I think just some of the weird choices like uh, like when they first meet and they're kind of like the way they're getting each other's face and backing off and circling. And yeah. It's a, it's a little strange the way they play it, but it yeah. totally works. Yes. And, yeah. and he and Aykroyd, like every meeting they have when they're all just, they're both so jumpy. It's just so funny. Like, they, they, they could easily kill each other at any moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. The scene in the restaurant, you know, it's so funny. Oh, fucking my great. God. It's like, why don't we put our guns away? And immediately they both, like, you know, react and grab their guns and put them under the table. the I love the waitress saying, well, that's not really – and I'm like, I just want the protein. Right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's like – like, this is very matter-of-fact. I mean, it makes sense for his character.
3: Like, yeah. I just need what is necessary yeah. for me to do the job. Totally, because he's a bit of a sociopath. Yes. It's like Lloyd Dobler, had he gone wrong. Yes. Oh, God, yes. Oh, there's another – I was going to say this other moment. Um –
4: uh, I'm blanking. Oh wait, no. It's when Jeremy. We were talking about the over-the-top reactions. Yeah, that must have been when Jeremy Piven and Cusack met too. Like ten, ten years. years, man. <laughs> ten years, and then he he just keeps yelling it in the car. That's great. And then Cusack keeps repeating. Yeah, <laughs> and it's everyone thinks he's joking. Right, and everyone oh, has a he, joke when he says he's a contract killer. Contract, like it's like benefits Like every. Yeah. Every single person has yeah. a joke. No uh-huh. one thinks it's real.
3: <laughs> now that's one of the funny bits in the movie is that he's totally honest with everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think partially maybe because of his therapy. <laughs> yeah, which those scenes are great too with Alan Arkin, who's yeah. scared to death. Take because... a few days off. Don't kill anyone.
4: Well, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want. He doesn't want to work with him. That's the, yeah. That to me, so funny. Like he, once he tell, he like he wants Alan Arkin wants John Cusack's character. To be open and honest, so he is. I'm a contract killer, right? Alan Arkin's scared to death to be his therapist. (laughs) The way he plays it all, though, just Arkin is just such a genius, man. So good, and Joan Cusack.
3: Oh, Joan Cusack, that. That's another aspect, the sibling aspect. Yeah, it's great, you know. A- and on that trope of like the two-person office, like the boss and the secretary, are the only oh, people there. Oh god, it's one of my favorite sort of like detective tropes. And she also like is both really sweet and cares about it, right. but vicious. Oh yeah, that one call yeah. that she has where she's just blessing someone out. I can't ordering even... bullets and yeah. weapons. Yeah. That's right.
4: and like you're fit for this job. <laughs> and then she switches off to like what talking about a soup. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so great. I just it rem, Every time I watch it, it reminds
3: me how incredible Joan Cusack is. She's the best. And how I wish she was in more stuff. Yeah. Yeah, all of his siblings are in it. His sis, other sister, what? Really? or one of his other sister plays, uh, when he and Minnie Driver at the bar, that drunk girl comes up. It's like, oh, you two have always been together. I love it or whatever. Oh, is, is that Anne Cusack? Yes. And what? then his brother, Bill, plays a waiter. And then I don't think his other sister is in it, but um, that's so funny. Yeah, it's pretty. She's really
4: funny doing that. Yeah, there was that one scene. So it's three siblings. Yeah, it's two
3: siblings together, and oh, that's really great. But Joan, yeah, she's the best. And apparently, the Jenna Elfman bit, where she's in the body cast, is a little nod to uh, Joan in Sixteen Candles. Uh, that was really? a little, little nod her way yeah I don't, th- I never noticed that I didn't either really I didn't put it together oh, they should have wow. had her go to a water fountain because that was sort of the iconic yeah, scene with yeah, Joan yeah. like can't get water out of yeah. the water fountain <laughs> god then, the soundtrack for Gross Point Blank. oh yeah I mean it's amazing favorite soundtrack of all time without a doubt yeah it, for sure and the, and the way they play the cues too um, whether it's like the live and let die cue for the Ultimart scene oh. it's so perfect <laughs> you know when he pulls up and then at the end um the other like perfect placement was the 99 Luftballoons. balloons Yes. Like, kind of starts that whole end right after he kills uh, that uh, the ghoul, as he calls him. Holding a, the
4: pen that he had killed him, blood everywhere. <laughs>
3: Thanks for the pen.
4: The way that they move the body. Like, I love the fact that 10 years, and all of a sudden this guy's like, ah, I'll move a body with you. Uh, he's right in there. He's like, we're friends. And yeah. Yeah, we're going to hide this body in a yeah. furnace, which is, oh, that always to me. Why is there a furnace there that's My wife open? said the same thing. She was like, what? That's like, is was that, that a thing at a time? <laughs> How did you know it was there? The whole thing. Oh, who cares? Yeah, we just you just have to go along with it. Mm-hmm. And then what I love most is they're both exhausted, yeah, bruised, oh beaten, yeah, so bloody, and the guy he does the thing like Jeremy Fenton's character does the thing, uh huh, but his is horrified, yeah, and then just turns his like, you know.
3: What does he say? He introduces oh, himself, right? I mean, yeah, he re- he's like, hey, I'm uh, dealing real estate or whatever. Like, what have you been up to? Or yeah, yeah. What do like you do,
4: Martin? <laughs> Martin, what do you do?
3: Yeah, I lo- also love uh, the part where, uh, I mean, I have a bunch of lines here scribbled down that I love so much. But, you know, the drunk asshole shows up at the reunion. <gasps> oh, God. And after all of that, he just comes Bobby. up to him. In the, yeah, Bobby in the hallway. And, uh, and he goes, uh, where is it? Somebody reads his poem. Well, that part's funny, too. But when he's like, hi, it's me, Martin, from high school, when he first meets him. Oh, God. I'm drawing a blank. Oh, God. Because everyone knows that guy. That's why I don't go to the fucking reunions, man. I don't want to see that guy. And I know that I've got some in mind already that I know would corner me drunk. Oh, you're podcast guy now. Like, those dudes are out there still. And in their late 40s, they're even worse. (laughs) I love the fact John Cusack's character could have hurt him in that
4: moment when they were Uh, alone. Yeah. But does not. Yeah. He just lets him read his poem. It
3: was really a sweet scene.
4: Yeah. But he doesn't want to hear the whole poem. No, no, no. Of course not. (laughs) Skip to the end.
3: I forgot. forgot. Skip skip to the end. Skip to the end. (laughs) Well, and I love the the many drivers watching that play out. Yeah. I think um, that was just an interesting choice to watch her kind of see that nice moment. Play out with this guy. Maybe to remind, it's another reminder of this is a great guy. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of little moments like that. Um, like when he has the baby. I mean, it's just such oh, a that's sweet that's the scene. iconic. But yeah. That could have been the movie poster right there, them looking Absolutely. at each other.
4: I mean, I, because I mean, I mean, you know, maybe it's a little like nail on the head, but I don't care. No. It's like this is a man who takes life, uh-huh. who is now appreciating life for the first time. But the thing is, the reason why I don't think it's nail on the head, because he like, they have the joke after it's like I found a new pr- a newfound appreciation for for life, something like that. And right, then Dan right.
3: Aykroyd, Ay- it's like either this guy's uh, losing <laughs> or he's found <laughs> a found appreciation <laughs> <Right>. for life. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, self awareness. Yeah, that's such a uh, like you know corny comedy bit, complete <laughs> <this> line, <laughs> but it works <laughs> like so great. It works
4: know? for me because like that moment is so like poignant. Yeah. That, like, to play, almost to play off it with that. Right. Like, to almost not take itself too seriously. Yeah, Is, I'm really curious as to, like, how much of this was in the original screenplay.
3: Yeah, me too. Because, I mean, I know that they used the third takes that were a little more improved. Um, yeah, I'd like to see the script for this. Because it's hyper self-aware of what it's doing. Yeah. And it, it is interesting to see a movie that is two different things. Like, it is a rom-com. Yeah. And a high school reunion movie. But yeah. then, it's just so... Like, the violence is funny to me. Yes. You know, it's over the top. It's ridiculous. But, like, these shootouts, there's just, like, thousands of bullets. Right. And eventually, he, uh, Dan Aykroyd gets killed by television. It's
4: great. He just, like, just <laughs> did not see it coming. Yeah. I mean, it hit the whole premise of Dan Aykroyd's character wants to start a Hitman Union. I know. I know. That's so great. That's, that
3: in itself <laughs> is a spin off film if he doesn't get killed. Well, and at the beginning, it's so wonderful. Um, I had the line written down when they're talking about what. Uh, like who's in and who's out? Yeah And he goes, them and uh, butch Filipino ladies, and Cusack goes, the little uh, dwarf uh, maid, the stavers <laughs> 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 Queen's in the hotel hit list.
4: I mean so the, good. Th- the back, the world they created, the backstory is yeah. like, I mean, honestly, and maybe this is sacrilegious, I would put this up there with Groundhog Day, and Groundhog Day is I've covered that in this room uh that's a beloved movie that is uh, to, i mean of course that's one of my favorites but i would put this up there with groundhog Day is my favorite comedy
3: yeah well do you remember like i guess did you see it in the theater or do you remember grossman blank or was it like a vhs oh, uh, thing for you my guess gut DVD. tells me that i
4: saw it on vhs but i uh-huh. don't remember i mean i mean i've seen it so many times since then but i don't remember when i first saw it maybe i saw it in the theater yeah. I mean, it's. It was funny. I think I had forgotten it existed for a long time. Maybe like a decade or so, and then I watched It'd have it again. It had been a while again. since I've seen it. And then all of a sudden, after I watched it for the last like five years, I've watched it like every six months. Yeah. Because it's still perfect. Yeah. And it's and it's what you you know you had said like you find all these little moments that you didn't know were there. I mean, it's so well. Yeah. it's So well written. I mean, the fact that there's a a buddy cop. Side story with the two government spooks. Yeah, yeah, Hank Azaria and the other guy. They're so funny. They're so funny, and they're back. And it's like those characters could almost be written out. You don't, you don't really need them. They could just. It's weird that they're in there. They really don't have a, need to be there at all. And yet. They build some backstory with these two. Uh-huh. They give them funny lines. They let them play off each
3: other. I can't wait to kill this guy.
4: And then they, <laughs> and then they both get killed in an unceremonious yeah. fashion, like like completely irrelevant. It is strange. That, and I love that. I love the fact they did that because it's almost like, you know, it was part of the plot. Yeah. Like, and I love the fact there was no, no characters were wasted. Right. There was no throwaway character, like even the ghoul. Yeah, yeah. When he goes in to check in, my name is Sidney. Yeah,
3: <laughs> That's right. He has a funny name.
4: He has a funny name and his voice is not uh-huh. at all matching his face. Right. And like, they and, could And have the just, girl is weirdly turned on by him. Yes. which like, oh, is like, save a dance for me. Or something. Ghoul is completely <laughs> accurate. Like, the yeah. guy is a ghoul. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that, um, you know, even his character, who is just, you know, he's a, he's a very straightforward bad guy. Yeah.
3: He's a baddie. But like, they put they gave him a bit of a character sure yeah He he's uh for what it's worth he was uh kusak's real life kickboxing trainer really they for put like makeup. 20 years they put makeup on
4: him there's no way that's no he he's he has an odd
3: face <laughs>
4: very frightening that man was very frightening it was very scary no
3: he looks i told emily i was my wife i was like he, he looks like he's wearing a mask yes but it's not that's just his uh look He's supposed to be Eastern European.
4: Oh, that's the other thing. They talk about his, his resume. Right. His resume is very impressive. Right. The fact they have a resume, right. <laughs> they have a list of all the different kills he did, yeah. went professional when he, like, like amateur and professional, like, right. that whole CV is so absurd. And it almost feels like they already have a database, which is what, like, Dan Aykroyd wanted. Yeah. He wanted everyone to like basically so they Unionize. didn't yeah, Essentially. So, they, so they don't that they get better deals <laughs> right. and they you know, don't like double cross each other. They yeah. know each other's working, which you know, when I think about it, is not a bad idea. You know, as yeah. somebody who supports unions, you know, he had a it was a pretty solid idea. That I mean, I think, I think John Cusack's point about like, well, you know, I'm, I'm a. You ever heard the term lone gunman? Like, yeah, I like to be. Uh-huh. It's, it's the lifestyle. I don't want to be in a team. Right. Which is
3: very funny. Well, I mean, none of like even the Ackroyd character. You didn't need him either. Like it could have been a movie yes. just about a hitman who has a hit in the town, and that could have played out, but. You threw in his character trying to unionize, and it added this whole <laughs> other thing, which is insane. <laughs> which really is an insane. absurd idea. Yeah, that in itself, like there are
4: several movies in here: the romantic yeah. comedy, the, the the hitman going to his reunion, the uh, you know the the fight over him uh, another hitman trying to unionize uh-huh. against his will. You know, him trying to come to terms with. Ch- There's so
3: many little movies in here that yeah.
4: somehow work together.
3: Yeah, I mean the definite – Definitely, like, uh, one of my favorite stories is the you can't go home again story. Mm. And that's, I mean, he straight up says it in here. It's one of the great lines. In fact, after he goes to the Ultimart, which was his former home, yeah, he calls his therapist and he says, you can't go home again, but I guess you can shop there. <laughs> such a good line. <laughs> you know, oh. and he goes to see his mom that's who has, sad, like, yeah. dementia. And it's, like, that didn't need to be in there either, but it all just sort of, like – uh, makes it a richer story, I think, and not just some yes. silly comedy. Goes to f- dad's grave, yeah, which man. he, and did, pours he out clearly scotch. didn't go to his funeral and all he disappeared. Yeah, like all
4: that stuff really enriches the whole thing. Like, this is a guy that's run away from a lot of things, yep, didn't want to deal with it, like, found a way to make a life by taking life comes back and it all rushes back yeah. like oh my god like this is well it's relatable like any I think everyone which is amazing isn't it Yeah. well yeah but fat... that's how good this film is that like a movie about a hitman becomes relatable
3: <laughs> on a human level yeah on a basic human level yeah uh, one of my favorite other lines is when uh, at the reunion the, the whole third act is just great like yeah. once the reunion starts Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Piven's there and the Jenny Slater character comes up <gasps> She's sort of fawning over uh Martin, like ten years has been good to you and Piven's just like trying to get her attention. He He's, He's like it. I had like eleven classes, he goes, I wrote your precious metals paper. That's <laughs> in the look on her I was like, Ugh. Precious metals is like such a high school paper to yeah, write, dude. Yeah. So the fact he remembers it. <laughs> oh and... yeah, absolutely. But then they're getting down at the end dancing, Yeah, they're dancing. So... I
4: noticed that too. Like, oh good for him. Yeah.
3: you think for, he, yeah, him. Uh, he might. Wait, is that pre or post him that was pre him bleeding and all that? Pre him bleeding Yes, right Yeah, because I think during the big dance is when he uh, he kills the guy Right, that's right And, and more importantly, pre-Entourage <laughs> Yes, oh God Yeah, it's so funny
4: Jeremy Piven now looks so different to me than Jeremy Piven then. I really like Jeremy Piven
3: Especially after that movie Yeah He's incredibly good in No, I, I, I have always liked Jeremy Piven And Entourage just put a stank on him, I think Which is weird because he becomes
4: the character
3: I know and everyone kind of thinks he's Ari, probably. Right. In real life. I mean, they all, I mean, Jeremy Piven, John Q's, they all grew up together, didn't they? They all, they all, right, yeah. From Chicago. And, and Steve Pink, who co wrote it, um, yeah. who was the uh, security guard, the neighborhood security guard. <gasps> That's really? That's Steve Pink, who oh, directed funny. Hot Tum Time Machine.
4: I didn't know that. Yeah,
3: they're old. They all went to high school together. But he's so funny in that scene. Yeah. Uh, as a security, guy. that so wants to be a
4: cop, <laughs> but oh, that whole thing about he's allowed to. Our our clients need some extra protection, right? Right. So he's
3: allowed to shoot to kill. <laughs> like it's awful. And he said, "Well, I just saw saw some people kind of milling around on the lawn. He's like, it was just me. It was just one guy. One guy on the lawn. It was just me. <laughs> so many great interactions. No, that's just I've. Forgot that
4: whole thing. and then he shows up later at the reunion yeah. with a gun. Oh right, right. And he's so <laughs> he's like just
3: like, like flashes it real yeah, quick. All these losers from high school, all these yeah, yeah. So funny. Um and of course the other music cue during the baby scene with uh under pressure from Queen. Perfect. It's just like perfect so great. I mean they have a message to you, Rudy's on there, Rudy can't fail
4: while the cover the cover is on
3: there. Well, Joe Strummer does the uh score. What? I think, yeah. God damn – you know, this movie is already one of the
4: most underrated, underappreciated comedies of all time. <laughs> I really believe that. No,
3: I agree, man. It doesn't
4: get brought up. It, it, high Fidelity gets brought up. Yeah. Um, you say anything gets brought up. Uh, this is just out of Cusack. Uh-huh. I mean – but it ranks amongst the best comedies of the 90s easily. Yeah, for sure. And I would say of all time just because of all the different elements in place. I mean the, – and the acting. like, good God – you have Dan
3: Aykroyd in a so bit good. part, and he's
4: he nails it.
3: Yeah, every time he's shooting, the like just the way he does it. Yes, sort of like double guns down. Yes, and just as fast as he can pull the trigger, and he's just sort of blinking. the throw the guns away, and but he's also like a he feels like the everyman hitman. Yeah. Union guy.
4: His haircut yeah. <laughs> from the Midwest. Right, He's not Popcorn. sleek. Popcorn. Like, he's <laughs> he's the guy who wants to start the union. Of course he is. Yeah. And John Cusack, slick, also from the Midwest, running away from it. Right. He doesn't. He wants.
3: He's like, what does he say? Look, look at how I dress. Yeah. Yeah. But he's trying to get out, you know, like a... Uh, he said that th- that's his last gig, basically. Yeah. When he gets found out at the end by uh, by Minnie Driver, and they keep and he keeps bringing up the dog. Yeah. He
4: accidentally killed a dog, Boudreaux. Was right. It in, was it in? It was <laughs> in Oregon was, or something. Yeah, it yeah. was in, in Portland. <laughs> hit killed a dog by accident. I would never hit a,
3: hurt an animal. I would by never it. hurt an animal. <laughs> It's so great, <laughs>
4: and that just gets
3: hung—it's hung over his head forever. The fact he killed yeah. his dog, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, kind of perfect at the end, where um, just plot-wise, if you're writing a film, like to make her dad the last guy on the hit list was just sort perfect. of a perfect way to like bring it all around. He would be
4: the guy, yeah. Just the look of him, and or even how annoyed he is with Martin for showing up, and then
3: he's like, "Ah, let's have a drink." Right. <laughs> this doesn't <laughs> give a shit anymore. No, you kind of wonder what he did too. Yeah, oh, to yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, why is he on the list? Uh, you know, besides being a wealthy white man, so there's probably some some in his nefarious past. shit, yeah. <laughs> um all right, you got anything else on that?
4: I mean, it's a I stand by my belief that it's one of the great comedies of all time that I doesn't agree. get the respect it deserves. It's underappreciated. It's John Cusack being John Cusack. It's Minnie Driver at the um, Peak of Repowers, it's right. an incredible ensemble. <laughs> it is five movies in one that somehow works, and yeah. I feel like uh, it should get more love. Gross Point Blank
3: is an incredible film. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I'm trying to see if I have any more funny lines. I know that's like the most boring thing in the world to do, to recite lines, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, when he's in therapy. He's he's talking about going to the reunion. He's like, Mm. what am I going to say? I killed the president of Paraguay with With a a fork. fork. (laughs) Such a ridiculous line. I love it. Uh, What What do you do? Yeah.
1: Uh, (laughs) Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away.
3: All right, man. Well, we'll finish with uh, five questions. Um, what's the first movie you remember seeing in a movie theater? Dances with
4: Wolves. Oh. That couldn't be right, what? though. I remember watching Dances with Wolves in 1989. We were learning about Native Americans in our third grade class. Uh-huh. And dances with Wolves had just come out. So my friend Matt at the time and his mom, uh, was it Sandy? It doesn't matter. But she took us to see Dances with Wolves, and it was like incredibly How powerful. old were you? I was six or seven. I was seven oh, wow. probably, yeah. Um, it's a long movie for That or maybe kids. it was Little Mermaid. <laughs> it's one of those two. <laughs> Likely it was Little Mermaid. They came out around the same time, didn't
3: they? Uh, probably. Wait, when was Dances with Wolves? It was 90? Uh, yeah, I mean, it had to have been, I, I remember seeing that. My either, fr- yeah, freshman year in college, so 90. Oh, um, I'll take it back. It was Little Mermaid then. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, do you remember the first R-rated movie you saw anywhere? Was Dances with Wolves R-rated? Mm, probably. or I don't
4: know. It was pretty bloody, man. Yeah. Um, it was bloody. There was a kind of a sex scene in it. <laughs> um, so maybe that? I mean, I'm sure I saw R-rated movies from early on. I don't think some like were your how permissive with your my parents. Your parents? You know, it was weird. They never said anything until I was about, um, how old was I? Like 16 or 17, and yeah. all of a sudden we were seeing a movie. And it's like that's a rated R movie. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like almost 18, and now you bring this <laughs> up. I I've, I've watched R-rated movies with you in the house. Like only now did it hit you? That yeah, that's funny. It was, yeah, <laughs> but I, I can't remember the first one. I feel like we, we kind of watched whatever we wanted to watch. It was never really an issue. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's good. Which is funny to think about R-rated movies now, considering like 12-year-olds are watching hardcore pornography. Right.
3: And back then it was like, oh, God, is it rated R? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, number three, will you walk out of a bad movie or do you stick it out?
4: I have walked out of a movie. I'll tell you the last movie I walked out on. And maybe I was wrong and I, should, I needed to watch it again. But it was the um, it was the Walk the Line parody. What's that called?
3: Oh, Walk Hard? Walk Hard. Yeah, the John C. Riley.
4: Yeah. I, I, here's the thing. I didn't see Walk the Line first. Uh, and if I'd seen Walk the Line first, maybe I would have. I don't think Walk Hard was that great. I re, I mean, the I'll, only, I'll go ahead and say it. There were two things about Walk Hard that made me laugh. Wrong kid died, right? <laughs> yeah, which we, we re- get, get, re- got repeated so many times. And the the one scene which I think is just an incredible scene, which is Tim Meadows trying to convince uh John C. Riley's character not to smoke weed oh, because right, of all right. the things it does and all the reasons he explains are incredible, like basically why weed is the best. Yeah, but he's <laughs> like, No, it makes you do all these terrible like things. It's just, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I just hated that
3: movie. Like, midway through, I was with my friend, Ariella, and we just, we just walked out. I'm like, I can't. Yeah. I can't do this. Um, that made me think of the, the one kind of nice little touch in Gross Point Blank when he goes to his locker and pulls that ancient joint from the top. Oh, yeah, and then <laughs> he just kind a, of crumbles yeah, in his pocket. that's such a nice little, like, metaphor, I think. And the idea that he knew where it would be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, number four, I'll, I tailor to the guest. So, what... Who would be your, in any era, um, if you were going to make a buddy comedy, who would be your dream partner? Oh, John Cusack. Really? Yeah. 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 But uh, Cusack from that
4: era, yeah. Okay. Oh, man, I love John Cusack. I mean, honestly, I haven't seen much of what he's done recently, and certainly I didn't watch, like, wasn't in Serendipity and some of the romantic comedies of
3: that era I didn't see. Yeah, and lately he's been doing kind of, uh, I don't know, not... (laughs) <laughs> sounds the best word. It, it sounds shitty to say, but not John Cusacky roles. Like, we all love him and Say Anything. <sighs> Are they not writing
4: and... John Cusacky roles then? Is that the I don't problem? know. Or what do you
3: do with John Cusacky th- things in his, like, late 50s? Like, Hot Tub Time Machine, as much as
4: I tried, I really didn't like it.
3: Nah, it wasn't great. It,
4: it felt like it could be great. I watched because it was John Cusack. Sure. In a comedy. In a comedy that kind of plays with his past to some degree. Like, The Ski Lodge... There was a ski lodge element to it, wasn't there? Yeah, which just kind of reminds me of Better Off Dead, right? You know? But, <laughs> but it just, um, oh God, I forgot about Better I, I Off Dead. I would love to see, I mean, can he still be John Cusack at this age, you know? Because that his stuff yeah. is very much of that 20s, 30s, early 40s, trying to come to terms with different parts of life, come to terms with the beginning of adulthood, come to terms with, you know, w- you know what life is and what I want yeah. it to be, come to terms with relationships and breakups. There's a lot of like personal growth in all his films,
3: yeah. You don't see it him play, like, the family man much. No. I don't know if I've ever seen him in a movie where he had, like, a wife and kids. I mean, the only thing was when he finally falls in love
4: with... Or, or, or he gets back together with his, his wife or his girlfriend in uh, High Fidelity. Right, sure. Which is, I mean, that, that moment where he goes to the funeral, that whole series of things. It's yeah, just, I love that movie. I feel like when I watch that, I, I want to watch it again because when I watched it as a college kid, I don't uh-huh. think I got it. Yeah. Because it's hard to understand... Some of those dynamics of like bad relationships and the damage they do and yeah. how you bring it to the next one or the idea of you're with someone so long that even though there's so many terrible things about the relationship, they know how to come through for you in a way no one else can. Right. So, I mean, there's just so many things. I should watch that again. But yeah, John Cusack in his in his, in his his prime, I think. Am, am I missing anybody else I could do a buddy comedy with? How's that? That sounds pretty good. Oh, or um, – you know, if I could do one now, mm-hmm. I, I would do it with Randall Park. Oh, okay. Yeah, Randall's a friend of mine. And I think Randall's hysterically funny. I would definitely do something right now with Randall Park. It was a, it was a buddy comedy. You could probably make that happen. Why don't I just ask Randall to write something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's incredible. <laughs> I'm gonna text him actually after this podcast. Yeah. Say, yeah.
3: let's fulfill my dream. Uh, and then finally, movie going 101. Uh, what's your movie ritual when you go to a theater? Where do you sit? What do you get? I like to sit. If
4: I get there early enough, I like to sit kind of... And you're New York still, right? New York. Yeah. Yeah. I like to sit like middle back, you know, not... I don't like to be too close to the screen, not too far back where like, you know, people's heads are in the I like kind of the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but of course you have to avoid tall people, find the right angle so you can get a clear line. (laughs) Um, Never been a big fan of popcorn at movies. I have them. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll eat it if someone gets it, but that's not my choice. Um, I like... um, Raisinets, I like, um, They, ha- I don't know if they have them at every movie theater, but the chocolate-covered cookie dough. Oh, sure. Which I've never seen anywhere else other than a movie theater. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's true. You know, I like nachos from time to time. Yeah. Yeah, but I just, yeah. I used to get junior mints constantly when I was in high school as my go-to at movie theaters. Last time I did that. Uh, I went to see The Beach starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, wow. I was 17 at the time, and I was sitting next to the girl I had been in love with for a good chunk of high school. Uh-huh. And I was just obviously, sitting by
3: accident, or next? No, no, no. Her? It was a
4: movie theater. It was a it was a birthday party. Oh, okay. And my friend decided to have it at this movie, and I just happened. To, we were mutual friends with this girl. Gotcha. And I happened to sit next to her, which was like, yes. Oh man, God, yes. <laughs> and so. I had this habit of choking on Junior Mints, which was—I don't know how—it was something about because it's solid and liquid. You know what I mean? So it's like, do you, it's like, did I under chew it, or is it it's too—it's like it got confusing for whatever reason. And so, of course, the middle of that movie, I start choking on a Junior Mint. And right. I'm like, No, not oh, now, not her. She's right there, and it's loud, and I can't get it down. Uh-huh. And she's—and she's like, it's a, it, "Are you okay?" And, and I'm like, and I'm trying to play cool, like, "Shh." shh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and she's like, why, "Why don't you drink some of my soda?" So she oh hands God. me her soda, which is the closest thing we ever got to kissing. And, oh no. <laughs> And I promptly spilled it all over her lap. Oh, are you serious? Yep. Wow. Ending uh, Junior Mints at movie theaters forever for me. Really? No more? It was traumatic. Yeah. I was like, why is this happening? <laughs> why is this happening right now? Even in the moment, I was like, this is a bad movie. Yeah. This is a high school, like, <laughs> oh, man, Really? come on oh this is the oh this is the most time i've spent with her ever it's funny now that we're good friends uh, and she has no memory of it of course oh you're good friends with her yeah we're we're like yeah it's years later we we actually became friends decades after the fact uh, after she told me to stop mentioning me being in love with her in high school she's like you're great i don't understand why you have to keep mentioning something from (laughs) 15 20 years ago like we actually get along well as friends i'm like yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah that's, that's funny. <laughs> I guess, you know, it's hard to think of someone uh, as something other than, you know? Right, your first crush. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, she had no memory, which is always funny. Like, when you're the person oh, yeah, man. every single thing, you remember every
3: single moment. Yeah, and you think, like, oh, man, that's all that they remember about me, and they yes. don't even know. Oh, my, my uh, first major relationship,
4: I remember every single detail. Mm-hmm. And she... She knows we were together. Yeah. She remembers that we were together. <laughs> That's a
3: very high fidelity kind of thing. Oh,
4: yeah. Like not even. Oh, yeah. Right. Sure.
3: I think he has one of those where it's so important to him. And they like, she's like, what? Yeah.
4: No memory. <laughs> I just know we
3: were together. We had some good times. Moved right. On. <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah. Yeah.
4: When it means so just much to you. It to be marginalized and, and forgotten. Right. Exactly. The, the other the person. Punishment. Punishment. The other person like this will fill the time. Versus, right. <laughs> this is everything. Yeah. All
3: right, man. Thanks a lot. This so, is great. This is great. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's it. Another one in the can. I know you liked Hari as much as I did. He's a nice guy, and he's funny. Check out his stand-up. I think his brother does stand-up, too. They're doing some stuff together. And if you ever get a chance, um, I know Hari's done some uh, bits with his mom. His mom is very funny. I wanted to get a podcast going where um, called Hari calls his mom, where they just like tape their phone conversations. Maybe we'll do that one day. It's really good stuff. So uh, support his career. Uh, Go check out The Problem with Apu, and I hope you enjoyed hearing us talk about Gross Point Blank. What a great, great movie. So thanks to Hari for coming in, and thanks to you for listening. And until next time, remember, you can't go home again, but you can still shop there. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at Works Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. This is Malcolm Gladwell
2: from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: This is Amy Brown from 4 Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here.
2: And I'm Austin Hankwitz.
0: We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories,
2: a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks.